Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, podcasts worth listening to. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going all right. How's it going for you, Patrick? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would say also all right. We, of course, in Los Angeles just experienced uh, an earthquake. Mark, did you feel it? Oh, we did? No, no, I had no idea. Yeah, like like half an hour ago, as of the time of this recording. Um... Uh, uh, Sarah was playing Animal Crossing. I was watching the Nintendo Direct we are about to discuss. Um, and like I just kind of looked over at her, and she was like, "Just stay where you are." She was right. <laughs> don't get up. Don't try to do anything. <laughs> and then it was over after just a couple seconds. Oh wow! No, uh, that I feel like I normally feel them like, uh, but this time totally oblivious. Uh, well, turns out not that big a deal. <laughs> Speaking of not that big a deal, my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch. Would you like to borrow it someday when the program resumes? I Look, I know I said that the program was going to uh, become immediately active again, uh, and then the, the world took a nosedive, uh, and I haven't gotten around to get, getting to the post office. Um, so uh, apologies for that. Uh, but we will be... Uh, reactivating the program so you can borrow my copy of Sonic Forces. I mail it to you. It doesn't cost you anything. All you got to do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at gmail.com and give us uh, a mailing address that we can send it to. And then I will, I promise someday. So also, uh, of course there is no E3 this year, but that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate the spirit of E3 by looking at past Nintendo E3 presentations, which we're going to be doing in just a second, but we'll yes. be doing it all month long. Next Thursday, we're going to be talking about the 2006 E3. The week after that, the 2010. And the last week of June, we'll be talking about the 2011 Nintendo E3. Um, so, uh, with, I, I also really like the way that you put it, that, uh, we are going to be discuss uh, celebrating the spirit of E3, literally the ghosts of E3's <laughs> past. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's, let's not screw around anymore. Let's get into it. Let's start talking about Nintendo's E3 2004 presentation. So we thought that we would start with, uh, uh, our best uh, remembrances or like what we would have predicted uh, the presentation to be like and what it what it uh, was about. So uh, w- here we're going to play our predictions, which were recorded a couple days ago before we rewatch this video for the first time in 16 years. Let's let's hear those now. Okay, so 2004, I think since this is going to be before the, the Nintendo DS comes out, right? Um, that this has got to be before we, before Nintendo starts to embrace the like hyper casual, uh, 
you know stuff that will like plague not plague but like will be the sort of like overtone of the ds and wii era so yeah go ahead well i was gonna say it's it's we didn't talk about 2003's e3 but it's really interesting because like in 2004 like you know we're deep in the um gamecube right and kind of like the nintendo is a little bit at a loss at what they're going to do um and yeah and like game boy advances is big but it's not like this is like pre-revolutionary nintendo where like they they hadn't quite gotten their uh you know a a a console under every tv and you know two handhelds in every bedroom right exactly like the 2003 e3 is so interesting to go back and look from just like a nintendo time capsule because they're announcing like gamecube games um but they like there's a whole segment of it where uh satoru iwata is talking about the state of video games and where nintendo fits into it and watching it now it's so obvious like where they were headed with the nintendo ds and with the wii and this idea of like the blue ocean strategy but at the time it's really interesting because he like uh, he's talking about like games that are big and like the video game industry is huge. And he specifically calls out Vice City. He's like, um, you know, like we've seen Vice City huh. be like incredibly successful, but are we reaching the limits of a medium of what ga- we can like have in games? Like kind of echoing a little bit, like, you know, like the concerns that people had about like the violence in San Andreas and like all, you know, like that sort of thing. And um, it, and so I think like Nintendo in two thousand four um is still like rocking the GameCube. The Wii's a few years out. The DS hasn't been announced yet. And when they announce it, right, like they were talking up the DS as like a third pillar. That that's right. You know, like because they were hedging their bets hardcore. Um, I think this is also Reggie's first E three. Oh man, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I think they kind of have, like, a chip on their shoulder a little bit. Yeah. Like, I think Nintendo feels something to prove. Um, Well, and this is also sort of like, this is in, obviously, the later years of of the GBA. So I think that's also, like, it's weird to call, like, Nintendo adventurous during that period. Um, But, like, you know, this is when they start bringing over the, like, Fire Emblem games to the West for the first time. Um, Like, I I believe the... um, the second uh, GBA game comes out in uh, 2004, 2005. Um, and like, you know, there are uh, the Four Swords Adventures and like that sort of um, like experimental stuff starts to pop around this time. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if any of those make an appearance. If there's any like, um, you know, like Star Fox Assault or like Metroid Prime 2 or 3 or, you know, well, not not 3, obviously, that's that's on the Wii. Um, but this is right around the time where, like, um, they're, they're desperate enough to, like, be doing Blue Ocean stuff, but also still sort of core enough to be, like, digging their heels in on, uh, like, some kind of older franchises or stuff that they're bringing over from Japan. <laughs> Okay, so uh, not totally wrong. No, uh, I think both of us forgot how like 
kind of like aggro <laughs> yeah nintendo was in this uh period like they definitely felt like they had to compete with um like explosions and grittiness and the size of your gun yeah well and like it's kind of like two different versions of aggro going on at once there's like business aggro because they spent so much time being like look at these graphs we are dominating everyone (laughs) i I totally forgot how much of like a trade show e3 used to be um where like now like all that stuff if it's happening at all is like happening behind the scenes but yeah like not only that, but it's like okay, so they're they're doing like all this like really like you want games, we'll give you games with murder. But then they're also like yep. Pokemon grew, you know, like forty percent in the past blah 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 quarters. Like everybody loves Pokemon yeah. and Mario and guns. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think some of that is just a function of it being 2004. One of the uh, notes that I made while watching this was that every music cue, every music cue in one way or another feels like the turn of the 21st century, right? It's either that like insufferable uh, like club pop um, <laughs> or or uh, like a, a Linkin Park sound alike, mm-hmm. right? Or I mean, there, there was there was a lot of this where I was like, oh, man. Um, just 16 years ago was 16 years ago and like <laughs> the culture just changes um, and you know the, the kind of like in your face energy um, that I mostly attribute to the 90s um, I feel like uh, I feel like in the 90s it was maybe grosser and by 2004 maybe this is a 9-11 thing uh, just got more violent and scarier <laughs> well do you know what I, I think is interesting is that um, so Watching this again, I feel like for like whether you like the Nintendo of the DS and Wii era or you don't, there was such a clarity of vision as to what they were about. Yeah. And I think it got like muddied a little bit again with the Wii U. And I think that there is once again like a unifying vision with Switch, or at least it feels that way. But like watching this presentation, um, it really does feel like a company that like like is kind of fighting against itself when it tries to present itself as like about the hardcore gamers. Yeah, well, and I mean, there's a moment in this where Reggie specifically calls out that like we're going to be making a lot of games that aren't going to be exciting the people that are in this room right now, um, like games, uh, games for people who are not your age. And he's talking to a room full of game journos, right? Uh, not your age, people who do not have your tastes. And like, uh, there's, <laughs> it's a almost like combative moment where he's like. <laughs> We're, we're leaving you dinosaurs behind. <laughs> he doesn't say it quite that way, but like, uh, there, I feel like there, there's so much, and this room rewards most of the, uh, like hardcore kind of like game announcement uh, mm-hmm. ideas or anything that feels like it is like a real cutting edge technology thing. Um, but they also have. It's it's very interesting to like take the temperature of the room in a moment by moment announcement by announcement uh, basis, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the uh, the DS. Um, but uh, I I mean I, it is it is telling that they start the show with uh, like a sizzle reel of uh, three big like kind of violent games right of uh, Metroid Prime Two, um, Star Fox no subtitle at this point but would come to be Assault right yeah. Um, 
and uh, Resident Evil 4, and then end the show with a uh, a trailer for um, Zelda, which will be Twilight Princess, but has no subtitle at, at, at this point. Yeah, and the, the Nintendo DS part is so interesting because, you know, it's the first time that they had, like, shown it off. And we take for granted now, like, what a huge success the DS was. But yeah. um, to hear them just, like, uh, at its very core explaining, like, two screens and how they might be used is, like, so fascinating with the uh, hindsight of, you know, like, how that generation would go. Yeah, so how, how do you want to approach this? I, I can kind of take us through uh, basically the whole presentation, like, step by step, um, if you like, and we can talk about if, if we have anything to, to say about the, those individual moments. Yeah, let's do that. Let's just run it down. Um, so, okay, uh, you know, li- like we said, it starts off with these uh, uh, sizzle reel with these three, like, kind of dark, violent games, um, and all, all the time flashing on the screen, um, you know, uh, 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 lives worth living, corners worth turning, paths worth taking, uh, guns worth reloading, weapons <laughs> worth murdering a man with. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, and, the, and the, the, to- the tone here is just wild. Um, and it that... Uh, sizzle reel is punctuated by Reggie uh, coming out wearing a coat that is like four sizes too big for him. <laughs> a jacket, I guess. I mean, Reggie's a big man, so I think finding like tailored suits are probably really difficult. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's also, you know, like 16 years ago. Um, right. But th- I think, so this was e- Reggie's first e- E3. And uh, this is when he makes his now infamous, like, my name is Reggie, I'm about kicking uh-huh. ass, I'm about taking names, and we're about making games. And that is, like, a pretty clear indication of where Nintendo's mind was at. Yeah, and, and like, that, that is the tone for this thing, right? Um, and, until the uh, end. Until the end. Until the end. Until the end, right. Well, it, until, like, the halfway point uh, about... Um, and uh, they they follow this up with like a, a more in depth uh, trailer for Metroid Prime Two, um, which again is really like uh, they're the words that flash up on screen are all emphasizing like the darkness, Samus versus Dark Samus, the the hunter versus the hunted, um, and then also like just throwing out there uh, four player split screen multiplayer, which is not something that we really remember metroid the metroid prime series 4 right um so i cannot really remember is this the first time that dark samus comes into the series or is dark samus something from yeah it is right yeah that's so weird to me because it feels like so um now you're just like oh yeah dark samus like that always existed yeah there's there's the uh samus x like parasite uh kind of doppelganger of her in in fusion but yeah this is the first time that we ever see um we ever see dark samus and also this is the the first time that we get um like uh the you know first person multiplayer as well um we'll get another tease of it uh later in the show for uh metroid prime hunters on on the ds um but it's it's just it's just weird to see that, and then it's it's followed up shortly thereafter with a the trailer for the Star Fox game, which also shows um four player split screen multiplayer, and again all local because like there is no such thing as online gaming at this point. 
right for and, consoles right and or uh, definitely not on because i mean the gamecube you could do like you could land them together and xbox sure. live was becoming a thing at this time for halo 2 but definitely not like like later for the nintendo ds when he's like it's wi-fi compatible like you don't need any cords that gets like a huge response um it's maybe the biggest pop of the night yeah <laughs> i also like that in between each of these like uh longer trailers for these games like reggie has like one like pithy one-liner like the one for Star Fox is like we like games with big explosions then he walks back into the shadows and they like run the sizzle reel for Star Fox assault and again like you know like all these e3 presentations are always so much like bravado and it's just funny to be like Star Fox assault is such a nothingness in like you know it made zero impact and so it's just funny to like have it like um put up here as one of these like premier like titles that's really gonna like appeal to the core gamer yeah well and it's it's also wild that like this these this thing swings between um like very obviously a commercial right and then like a weird business meeting where, <laughs> where they're like now if you'll to please uh view these bar graphs where you can see that without nintendo the industry would have had negative growth the last <laughs> two quarters and it's like what what is this yeah and like uh like uh like bad mouthing the ps2 and basically saying like you know like yeah the, uh, the playstation wishes they had the growth of the nintendo gamecube uh, it's uh, we, we'll we'll get to that in a second because I have a lot of thoughts about it. Um, but I just want to like mop up uh, what what we got here. Um, so after Star Fox, uh, Reggie goes, "We like games so scary they'll keep you up at night." And then we get Resident Evil Four, um, and it sounds like Rob Zombie is doing the uh, um, <laughs> the, the uh, underscoring for this. Um, and uh, then like coming out of that is uh, when like Reggie starts to address the idea of the Nintendo audience for the first time. Um, and he, he refers to a crowd that is uh, terminally hip is the phrase he uses uh, <laughs> that decides that Nintendo's not for me. Yeah. Who do you think he's, who's he referring to there? What, what's I, going, I, what is that? I don't know. I mean, later in the presentation, he explicitly says like, I have spent my entire career, um, you know, mm -hmm. like talking to, you know, like marketing to teenagers and to young adults and they want like blah, 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 blah. And so it's interesting. It's like, yeah, in that way, it makes total sense that Reggie came in as the um, president of Nintendo of America when he did in 2004, uh, when Nintendo was having this kind of like clearly identity crisis a little bit. And yeah. That he would be like, yeah, I marketed the Bigfoot pizza to teenagers and now I'm going to get you know, like GameCubes into the hands of the same generation. Yeah. And th this is where he says that uh, Nintendo, that we're not running a company for hardcore gamers. We're making uh, games for gamers that aren't your age, that don't have your tastes. Um, and again, you could almost hear the room go like, <laughs> like <laughs> not, not, our, not our tastes. Well, and it's, it's also um, yeah. like, you know, it is so much... Uh, it is a lot of it a product of the time and their position in the market, but also, right, like, now or recently, Nintendo positions themselves as being, like, all about fun. They're games for people of, like, every age. They don't try to, like, bifurcate the audience like they were doing in, two, in this presentation. It's like Super Mario Odyssey is for everybody. 
Uh, Animal yeah. Crossing is for everybody. For everybody. Yeah. yeah. And even something like Zelda, um, like Breath of the Wild, is for everybody, right? Like, it, it can be, like, the grand, epic, open-world experience, but it also has, like, an approachable art style in a way that, like, Twilight Princess, as we'll see at the end of this game, uh, that it presents, you know, like, a really, like, dark and, like, on-fire version of Hyrule um, that isn't friendly in the way that, like, Breath of the Wild would be um, you know, uh, 10, 12 years later. Um, and then, and this is when we start making, uh, taking little shots at, at the other guys. Um, and Reggie's like, some companies need, need you to use their memory cards or something, their memory sticks. <laughs> oh yeah. That's it. That's his burn on, um, PlayStation on Sony. And then yeah. his burn on Microsoft is like, and other guys just they don't care what you do as long as you're using their operating system and the audience is like reacts like it's a really sick burn well the thing is like i was i don't remember 2004 evidently but was (laughs) there like widespread resentment about having to use windows like where were we as a culture well i i think that uh right like after the iPhone was released, right, like Apple, Google at this point doesn't exist for all intents and purposes. Right. You know, like it is it is not the um, juggernaut that it is today. And so now, like in a weird way, like uh, technology choices are a little more democratized, like you have more options versus, you know, like in 2004, it was basically Microsoft and nobody. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's a good point. So maybe he's just coming after... Um, like that sort of monopoly idea. But it's so weird that he positions in both of these uh, things. He's like, uh, Sony, you got to use their memory cards. And Microsoft, you got to use their operating system. But Nintendo is like the king of proprietary nonsense. <laughs> right. I mean, well, didn't, and I, I truly cannot remember, didn't the GameCube require proprietary? Of course. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, even his shot about the memory cards doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, like, uh, y- you know, Sony, uh, in one form or another, publishes games on platforms that aren't PlayStation. Microsoft publishes games on platforms that aren't Xbox. But Nintendo only publishes games on Nintendo hardware. Like, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, guys. It, it's, a, it's a weird stance to take. Um, and then Reggie kind of uh, pivots out of this by going, he who has the best games uh, wins. Um, and uh, it, it is at this point in my notes that I wrote, Reggie rules. Um, he is a charismatic dude. And even when he's got these like really like arduous lines that are like had too much bravado and uh they're too long and like too verbose um like i just like him i just totally like the guy reggie is awesome and you know like i know that there's the phil harrison's of the world where people you know like like them but i feel like that sort of like a little bit larger than life persona um is such a good because it's like playful like you're right like it is bravado like it is clearly a little bit like hey i'm putting on a show um yeah and uh, you, so it's like it's it's clear why like everybody fell in love with him. Like he's such a perfect fit. He was such a perfect yeah. fit for that company. Um, and then uh, then Reggie brings out George Harrison, and I'd like to point out that this is not the Beatle George Harrison. <laughs> 
but some dude from like marketing. <laughs> yeah, he's like the SVP or like of uh, like marketing or something at Nintendo. And he had been around for a while. Uh, I think in just a year or two, he will retire. And I think Cammy Dunaway is will okay. basically be brought in to replace him. Um, yeah. Um, and so he's he's giving this uh, this presentation, which has touched on a lot of the things that we've already talked about. Um, and, you know, again, it is all like charts and graphs. And, uh, you know, he keeps doing these like little pauses for recognition and the crowd doesn't care. Right. Like, <laughs> Well, he's talking about stuff like in the th- like past three quarters since we dropped the GameCube to ninety nine dollars. You know, we've seen like, you know, like this much growth and all that kind of stuff. And like, sure, like all that, like the numbers are interesting, but also you know, like everybody was aware that PlayStation 2 was just uh, kicking everybody's trash. So like you can point to like all the graphs you want, but it doesn't, it didn't change like the, um, the reality of the situation that the GameCube was like an enormous kind of like failure. Right. Well, and it's, but like the, the way he's positioning it, like you're right. That's definitely not the story that he's telling. It's also just strange to uh, hear like the prediction. He's got a, 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 and I don't know how they like come up with these numbers, but they had a uh, an image of how many consoles had been sold this generation among all three platforms, and they were like, and we predict another twenty million among all the platforms uh, for a total of fifty eight million units um, from that generation. And just to remind you, what generation we're talking about? We're talking about the PlayStation <laughs> Two generation. The play Mark, how if you had to guess, because I'm gonna look it up, so I need you to talk for a second. But how many units do you think the, the PlayStation 2 sold lifetime? It's like it's way over a hundred million, right? I think it's like a I think it's almost double this. I think it's like a hundred and ten million or something. They like that. must purely be talking about the US market. Mm, that's that's interesting. Because it's a <laughs> because it's a Nintendo of America presentation, like they must just be talking about US. Um, so just, just so, <laughs> just so we got this, uh, clear, the PlayStation 2 is sold 158 million units worldwide. <laughs> hey, it's a, if nothing else, it's an amazing DVD player. Oh yeah. The best DVD player. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, traveling back to my notes here. Um, there, the other like interesting bit of insight here is that he's talking about, um, the like kind of shift in Nintendo strategy from the early uh, part of the uh, GameCube's life cycle to the end of it, saying that uh, at the beginning they are they burn through hardcore early adopters by uh, like throwing out the uh, sort of hardcore gaming experiences first, and then sort of transition to games that are about um, entertainment, things you recognize and value. Yeah, like George Harrison's presentation is all kind of about like why is Nintendo. And I think this is what feels like so much like a trade show where it's like you're pitching. If you if I were talking to investors, like this is what if he was talking to investors, this is what I would expect him to say, where he's like, look, we kind of, you know, like the beginning of the generation was is what it is. But, you know, like we still think that there's this much room for growth this generation and Nintendo is uniquely positioned to capitalize on it because we've had we've been playing this end of uh, like we've seen l- like three consoles before this through the end of the generation, so we're old hat yeah. at it. Versus like we know Sony, what it looks like. they've done it once before. Microsoft has never done it before, so like we're in a position to like eat their cake. 
Right. And uh, Mark, does that end up happening with the, uh, the GameCube? <laughs> um, here's I, I, I have to confess, uh, my jaw dropped when he said uh, we dropped the price of the GameCube to $99 in, in September of last year, um, which means that it was still four years before the Wii came out. Um, that the GameCube was a hundred bucks? No, 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 no. It was uh two years, right? The Wii came out in two thousand six. Oh, so three years then. From from September two thousand three to November two thousand. Oh my gosh, you're right. Oh my gosh, and that means it dropped to ninety nine dollars within like two years of it being launched. Yeah. So this, yeah, it's yeah, which is it, it's it's. Cr- Especially considering that the Switch has held so strong at three hundred dollars um, since it came out, and granted, it's only been three years um, and change. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 just remarkable that like ninety nine dollars is so cheap. I don't know what gaming hardware, like real gaming hardware, you can get for a hundred bucks right now. Yeah, no, it, it's it's. I think even at the time, it was kind of like jaw dropping. Um. um yeah, so that that then we get um uh like a, a look at um GameCube games that are 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 coming down the pipe, um and we see the following games: Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, Pikmin Two, Advance Wars Under Fire, which I believe would become Battalion Wars. I think but I don't right. know. Um, pa- uh, Mario Party Six, and Paper Mario Two, which is they're just calling it Paper Mario Two. And I love that even at this point, Nintendo doesn't think to uh, position Paper Mario as like a front of the presentation. You know what I mean? Like it is a, it is a deep, like it is in with the sizzle reel and like we'll see a, a screen or two of it later, but like they are not positioning it as like a reason to buy the system or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought it was funny that Pikmin 2 kind of got like higher billing than it. Um <laughs> Just because Pikmin always has felt like a very like minor Nintendo franchise. Yeah, yeah, and and, and it is. It, it it's a totally niche franchise. Even among like other niche franchises, um, it just doesn't have uh like that kind of pull. Um, then uh, we move into talking about the success of the GBA, um, and the wireless adapter. Um, for use with uh, tra- trading Pokemon. Like, specifically, they're like, so you can trade Pokemon um, w- with people. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you wrote it down, um, but, like, he talks about, like, uh, the latest Pokemon releases, and they sold, like, I can't remember what it was. It was, like, 5 million copies. Um, yeah, it's a ton. <laughs> in, in, no, no, but it's, like, 5 million copies in, like, the in six months. And it's just crazy. Like, on Tuesday, we were talking about, like, uh pokemon company having its best year ever and it's like sword and shield sold that amount you know like before it like in pre-order right like opening weekend yeah yeah like it's like the pokemon franchise is like exponentially larger now uh than it was at what you might have considered like previously the hype of pokemon mania yeah and i mean they they're really at this point like uh trying to uh 
like show off the strength of the GBA as like as oh they they say at one point that it uh, it doesn't uh it doesn't lead the handheld uh, the Game Boy doesn't just lead the handheld market it it owns it right um he mentions that there have been nine serious competitors to the Game Boy and that the Game Boy has crushed them all Mark do you think we can name the nine <laughs> competitors to the Game Boy uh so the the Game Gear right Sega Game Gear's got to be one. Um, the, uh, the color swan? Do you think they count? Yeah, co- color swan. Is that, that's the, um, Neo Geo maybe? Yes, I think so. <laughs> I don't know what, that what, I can. It was, it's, the, it's called uh, the Atari Jaguar, swan, right? Or what, what was the, the Lynx? The Lynx, the Lynx. The Lynx, yeah. And then the Neo Geo Pocket, that's a different thing. And then um, five other ones. <laughs> assuming and then five that. others. <laughs> But no, I, you know, like, look, he, they are, they know that where they kind of have to like make a case for, uh, GameCube. They know that they are in a position of strength, uh, when it comes yeah. to handhelds. And like, when, when he talks about the PSP, he is like grinding the PSP into the dirt. Oh yeah. Is, is like the PSP doesn't have the battery life that you want it to. It's, uh, the, look, the game boy, you could throw it down a flight of <laughs> stairs. It's going to be fine. Your PSP is going to break in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is a savage beating of the PSP, which, um, uh, the PSP sort of has the last, not the last laugh. The GBA is, is, uh, very successful as is the DS, but the PSP ends up being, um, easily hacked and people just end up using it as a game emulator um and it becomes one of the most successful pieces of hardware ever because people use it to steal stuff well and i think at this point like the psp hadn't been released yet so he was kind of like preemptively being like this thing sucks and uh the gba (laughs) is is you know like if you're an adult who's into games the gba is what you need because we have this like uh NES Special Edition, Game Boy SP, and um, we're putting episodes of Pokemon and SpongeBob on cartridges so you can watch them. Yeah, GBA video. Um, did, did you ever have? Did you ever have one of those? Or I, I don't think I did, but it? I think my younger siblings did. But I had totally mm. forgotten this existed until he brought it up. Yeah, me too. They're they're like the cartridges that you will see at like a GameStop or a store that has like a bunch of uh, Game Boy Advance games. And for a second, you're like, oh, they made a SpongeBob game. And then you're like, no, that's four episodes of SpongeBob. um they they pop up a a little uh a little pie chart here that show that uh about uh one third of gba users are over the age of 18 and that nintendo is uh uh targeting games that are for people over the age of 25 um so in 2004 in nintendo's eyes the 25-year-old gamer is the geriatric gamer. Um, <laughs> it, it's a th- think about that. Think about how like um, how much now the industry has like you know when a game is like geared towards an older audience, um, it is geared towards like 30s. It is geared towards dads now, right? Right. Totally. <laughs> um, and like that, Nintendo at this point was like, uh, 25 is as old as. <laughs> which actually, which like makes a, you know, like again, the DS is right around the corner where they're like, no. Yeah. But like right now, it makes total sense because they're like, yeah, like we're going to go for those older gamers, the ones who are really excited about like the NES classics coming to Game Boy Advance, yeah. like really like the first generation of gamers. 
Yeah. Um, and it's specifically calling out the uh, the NES version of the Game Boy SP, which Game I Boy totally owned. I def I a hundred percent bought one of those. It I watching this and seeing Game Boy Advance and Game Boy Advance SPs on the screen so much made me really want a Game Boy Advance SP. <laughs> I want it so bad. <laughs> um, it's a good little system. Uh, and then uh, they they rattle off rattle off a couple more games that uh, would would be coming to the Game Boy Advance, including Donkey Kong Country Two, um, F Zero Two, which is uh, GP Legend, but they were just calling it F Zero Two. Um, Zelda the Minish Cap, Mario Party, Mario Pinball, Mario Golf, Donkey Kong King of Swing, Mario vs. Donkey Kong, Kirby and the Amazing Mirror, and Pokemon Fire Red and Leaf Green. This made me so nostalgic for um, not, not necessarily that specific era, but things like, you know, even with the Switch, um, companies, we were lamenting this with Capcom on Tuesday, but it's just like companies don't have the resources or the time to spend on these just like small, like Mario pinball. Like, I don't know that we'll ever get another Mario pinball. And it, and it made me miss like that era of gaming where you're like, totally just like these, like, you know, titles that are made for handhelds. The DS was great about this as well. Um, where you're just like, you know, like these titles that otherwise wouldn't exist, but because like the machines are cheaper to develop for, then, you know, like companies can dedicate resources and they can take risks without having to break the bank. Uh, it is weird, though, that Nintendo's not still doing this sort of thing, though, right? Like, I mean, uh, one one of the games on here is Mario versus Donkey Kong, which is the sort of precursor to the, um, like, minis, right? Um, or is minis? I don't remember. Um, but, like, though they made a ton of those games for the 3DS, or for the DS and the 3DS, um, but, like, that series is probably done now because it is too, it feels too budget, right? It feels like a $40 game um, or less. Um, and, like, Nintendo has been, you know, we, we've talked about seeing a lot more of the um, mobile franchises on the Switch in the last, like, two years. Um, you know, with Fire Emblem and Pokemon and uh, like Animal Crossing, um, but they are definitely the like home console versions of those things. Um, and it makes me wonder if Nintendo is ever going to get back to doing the like sort of handheld versions of their series and put them on Switch at a, a lower price point. You know, and I, I think maybe arguably how they are trying to do this is like with those kind of. Um, interesting and unexpected third party or indie developer partnerships that they've done like yeah that like mm -hmm. what was the most recent one like get a job or something like that and before that there was like the ambulance one like stretchers or whatever stretchers yeah you know like with these just like kind of like surprise titles i i yeah i i also w hope that someday we will see the return of stuff like this i worry though that just like the economics of gaming like nintendo is a large company but even they yeah. you know like have to be somewhat focused and with the amount of people that it takes to uh create a like hd game nowadays that they just don't have like the resources to also be doing this other like thing yeah which i mean you're right means that like they have to get involved with a lot more partners and like obviously we saw um uh, that like Cadence of Hyrule is a, a pretty good example of a game published by Nintendo, not developed by them, 
that is a definitely smaller title is an indie game just being published by Nintendo and has Nintendo characters in it. So like maybe that's carrying on the sort of like spirit of that. But like I just rattled off like 10 games that were coming to the GBA uh, later in 2014. Like (laughs) that's a lot. Yeah, it's a ton. And like sometimes you just need like Tetris 99 is I think the perfect example of what I wish they were doing more of. Because, you know, again, they have those, like, the Kirby, like, uh, like the free-to-play game, like, all that type of stuff. But it's like, yeah. no, I would kill for a Mario pinball that I paid 25 30 40 bucks for. And it's just, like, a pinball game. Like, it doesn't necessarily need to be any more than that. Like, sometimes you just want that little, like, just, like, time-waster diversion. Yeah, and especially, I mean, one of the things that, uh, and this is maybe taking your uh, mention of Tetris 99, like, too literally, but, like, one of the things that's so great about that is that it's uh, not that, it doesn't take that much to, like, superimpose, like, a skin over it, right? And just be like, okay, you know, this this weekend it looks like Fire Emblem, or this weekend it looks like Pokemon, um, that, like, those sorts of things could also happen to a pinball uh, mm-hmm. table um not with, with you know without having to develop like a whole new game um also uh at this point they they're starting to uh uh show uh, other GameCube games um and we revisit the idea of Donkey Kong Jungle Beat and they show people playing it with the bongos and then they introduce Donkey Konga <laughs> <laughs> but seemingly only because their hands are tied and they've showed people playing bongos <laughs> Well, yeah, it's it's it is interesting uh, that they're like ju- like Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, and then never really explain uh, why right. you know like what that game is or how like uh, gimmicky it is. Um, but again, like we talked about in the past, super notable because it's made by what uh, like EAD Tokyo, who would eventually right. be given the reins to Mario, and that's where we got like Mario Galaxy. Um. So what? What what do you make of them? Sort of like, uh, like they they show off the the way you control uh, Jungle Beat and obviously uh, Donkey Konga, um, but don't like spend any time. Like they they are introducing an alternate control scheme here, um, but not uh, really dealing with it in like a meaningful way. They're kind of more interested at this point in the presentation of just like barreling through to the. Um, you know, sizzle reel of third party stuff that's coming to, uh, I was about to say to switch, um, to, to the GameCube. Um, like they have something new and interesting and sort of in line with like the, uh, new play style, um, or like blue ocean strategy, but like they're almost embarrassed of it or like not expecting it to like actually play on the GameCube or I, I don't know. It, it feels like a weird move. Yeah. I, I think it's, um, I th- like this presentation is so aimed for them like when they're talking about games at like the core gamer that I think they're a little bit like for like ashamed maybe like in a weird way Donkey Kong is ahead of its time because if it had come out five years later at the height of like the Guitar Hero era I think right. like people would have been like way more ready for it um oh w- one thing this is kind of like unrelated but you had mentioned it earlier that he talks about like like he who has the games wins or something like Mm -hmm. that and it's like i feel like that is the rallying cry over and over of companies in third place (laughs) i feel like we heard it in the wii u era i feel like xbox Mm -hmm. says you know like i feel like when you are down what you say is like none of this other stuff matters what matters is the games 
Yeah. Well, and I I think that is also just always Nintendo's rallying cry too, though. Like, um, even now, like they are probably the the Switch is a successful piece of uh hardware, but I think they're like, yeah, it's the software that's that's uh making it the the king of the crop. Uh, see, I I I disagree. I I feel like normally when like they're on top, like during the DS or the Wii era, or um. You know, like the the switch era, like I feel like they don't have to make that claim because it's so self evident. Um, sure. And so, like you know, they've never had to have a uh, direct like they did for the in the Wii U era, where they were like, "We're, I promise you, we're just talking about games for the Wii U." You know, like like really yeah, explicit. Um, and like, because with the Switch, they can be like, "Oh yeah, people love you know like the flexibility the Switch brings them, like blah 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 blah," because right like because there's such a flood of software they don't they don't have to go out of their way to be like and there are games on this thing too yeah no that, and then and that's a good point and also like all you really need to do is show a bunch of people playing um a mario kart and then it's like oh yeah no i want that thing <laughs> <laughs> right yeah <laughs> Um, uh, during this uh, third party sizzle reel, we see Killer Seven, Baton Kaidos, Terminator Three Redemption, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> Baton Kaidos is so funny to me because every trailer they show is just people screaming. Every like <laughs> cut, like they show just a bunch of, of snippets, like real yeah. short, like three or four seconds, and every every single one is like people screaming or like appealing to the heavens, like <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is what is is it Baton Kaidos that opens the presentation? Um, yeah, where it, it is, it is yeah. in the montage. Yeah, there's like a green haired dude who's like, as you said, <laughs> screaming towards the heavens, and then like wings pop out of his back. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, what a time to be alive. <laughs> um. So okay, uh, this sort of wraps up the uh, GBA um, GameCube portion of. Of, of the presentation and at this point we're about 20 25 minutes into a 45 minute presentation um and reggie a giant of a man reaches into his oversized jacket's pocket and pulls out a nintendo ds uh for the first time revealing what the machine looks like yeah so um and b- by the way the one he pulls out of his pocket is not even what the OG at Nintendo DS ends up looking like. Um, it is Amazing. clearly a, like a rough prototype. Uh, yeah, so kind of what happened with the 3DS is that like earlier they had announced that they were working on like a dual screen system, um, but they didn't like reveal it until the C3. So I believe this is the first time that the public got to look at it. Yeah, well, and and that's it, this is clearly something that has been mentioned before, the either DS or dual screen. Um, and I, I think it's interesting, most of the time they just call it DS. They don't call it the DS or the Nintendo DS or Nintendo well, DS. That, that's because I don't know if you, uh, at the end, when he's like, it's coming to Japan and America like this year, with and he's yeah. like, when it's released, it'll be with a new name. And a because like a DS was just the code name that ends up turning out to be just like the what they called it, and so he's like a like it's gonna be released with a new name and like a reasonable price or something like that. Yeah, well, and this is also it's interesting to see Nintendo start to um 
and we'll obviously see this with the Wii, um, but starts to play with like what the name of the system means. Um, like they're saying like DS, uh, obviously you know that already as dual screen because it has two screens, but we're thinking of it as a developer system. Um, and, you know, which is a, a cool kind of like take on that, but also is like, the idea that DS means more than what you think it means. Um, and they sort of, they show this off by uh, having like tiny little interview clips with um, people uh, like presidents of uh, development companies. And but, but yes, yeah. yes, yes, but before you get there, before we get there, they, he shows off the DS and they show a video of what I think are GameStop managers from different like stores being like yeah you know sure. like nintendo owns handhelds like people are gonna really love this dual screen system when they see it like that kind of stuff um yeah i forgot about these guys <laughs> and so i only because like when we talk about e3 as a trade show a lot of the time what we were talking about was like people from game retailers like eb toys and stuff like that yeah so it it, it is important to have like the like the people on the ground who are like interfacing with the uh, like consumers actually having some insight into like, yeah, I think this is going to, I think people are going to like this. Yeah. Cause you um, kind of needed them to be like uh, evangelists for your system. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's so, so crazy about all of this and like, it totally floors me is that they just spent 15 minutes talking about how the game boy has dominated the handheld market. <laughs> Right, that it's like undefeated. It doesn't lead the the market. It owns it, one hundred percent market share. And they're like, we're gonna put out a different thing. <laughs> um. So the the very first like uh, bit of gameplay on a 3ds that that we see is the Mario sixty four um DS port. Um, and uh, it's just Mario and Luigi and Wario. Um, flying around uh, with the wing cap uh, outside of Peach's castle. Um, and that that's like accompanied by Reggie saying like that you, it can do 3D graphics on the top screen and 3D graphics on the bottom screen. Um, and people love that. Well, and especially because the three, like the PSP wasn't out yet. So like, um, obviously that would be able to do 3D graphics as well, but it was a big deal. I remember being like, oh my gosh, like, a Nintendo 64 graphics on a handheld. Yeah, like, me too. This is amazing. I also, you brought it up and I interrupted you. And so I don't want us to like go slide by it too fast. Is that they have a montage of um, like of executives from like video game companies that some don't even exist anymore, like Vindevi Universal that, and they're like, you know, like these high level executives that they will be like, wow, like, yeah, the 3DS is really going to change, like, the way that we can develop games. Like, everybody's really excited about this. And what's cool is that with the, the DS, like, the, like, that actually came true. Like, some of it was successful yeah. and some of it wasn't, but it did change the way that people, like, made those games. Yeah, and at this point, we're really just talking about, like, the technical specs of it, right? Like, we aren't really into, and we'll, we'll get to it in a second, um, but into, like, the different ways that you interface with the system uh, and how it's totally different than all handhelds. And, you know, it's, again, you know, you, you mentioned, like, when, when does the first iPhone come out? 2007. 2007. So this is uh, three years before the iPhone comes out. Um, 
So like, yeah, we know touch screens, but like they're not ubiquitous, right? Um, and when when we get to the fact that like you control stuff by touching it, um, like that's that's uh, that's a re- that is legitimately a revolutionary thing that changes the industry, or at least is uh, ahead of the curve on where the industry was going already. Um, uh, and, uh, so Re- Reggie's like, uh, you know, you, and you can, uh, the, the two screens can be used in almost whatever way you want, um, with, uh, 3d graphics on both screens, uh, someone taking up uh, a character, taking up two separate panels, uh, or having like a persistent map on one screen. And then he shows off Metroid prime hunters. And this is the most, this is where the presentation becomes a roller coaster because the crowd sees Metroid prime of a sort running on a DS and they lose their <laughs> minds. They, like he has to stop and like more footage of the game just has to play while people applaud because they're uh, because a room full of game journalists is excited to see Metroid Prime surprise. Um and then he's like <laughs> He's like, and no longer will shooting be relegated to buttons. You just tap on the screen where you want to shoot. And you could there this is the closest the crowd comes to booing him. <laughs> <laughs> they were so happy and then so disappointed. It's also so funny because uh, you know, both those games would be playable, but Hunters wouldn't come out for a number of years because it had a really um troubled development history and like that game is like notoriously um let down by its uh control scheme because how do you ha- oh. con- how do you have like face mm-hmm. buttons and like use the little slide you know like all that kind of stuff yeah um i mean it let down by the control scheme in much the same way that mario 64 um right because you just is, have is also let down by the control yeah. scheme um yeah because you need to have an analog stick and like they they sold a thing that like a sticker control stick that you could put on the screen and they, like, it, they have like a the thumb way. thing so you're like huh. like a thumb strap so your thumb could have this like uh basically a stylus at the end of your thumb it, i think it came with my og um ds that also had a demo for metroid prime hunters was like this like wow. like little like thumb thing um reggie also during this is when he's showing off like uh the ds and he's talking about all the specs and everything it, it's funny how the playbook for announcing new consoles has not changed ever like the the down to the very sentence immersing the consumer into the gaming experience like never before (laughs) how many ice cubes are in the joy con mark uh yeah well and so speaking of that they're like this is where we start to get into um the uh f- the sort of technical features that aren't like just the specs um and starting with uh backwards compatibility for Game Boy Advance which rightfully gets a pretty big pop from the audience as well um which is good cuz he needed to win them back after that you just tap <laughs> where you want to fire and is also interesting and is also interesting that like that you know like Nintendo has not done that um at least they didn't originally do that with their uh home consoles but that has always been true of Game Boy yeah. of like handheld generations that they have always at least in one iteration or another supported the previous generation. Yeah, it it is a little bit of a strange thing to uh to do though just because like they're bragging about uh Game Boy Advance uh market penetration already that they're like 
yeah and this thing can also play those games where it's just like but people already have it (laughs) well i i think it's a total like hedging of their bets right because yeah then they can be like oof like we at least have this game boy advance um like library of games in case this ds thing doesn't work out and then we also can say like hey like don't buy a new like uh game boy advance like just buy a ds you'll get the ds games but you also get everything that a game boy advance could do I think there's also probably a uh, not insignificant part of the market that was uh, probably still playing their Game Boys and Game Boy Colors at that point, um, because like that thing got revitalized like right at the end of the '90s, and we're only in 2004 at this point. So like you know, a, a Game Boy Color isn't an old piece of uh, of hardware that a lot of people could still be playing a bunch of Pokemon games on. Um, so like. Just saying, like, okay, yeah, you can skip the Game Boy Advance generation if you want and still play the games on the DS. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. Because, like, um, the DS wasn't in the market that long, especially compared to, like, the, uh, how long the Game Boy was around until the DS showed up. So that the, does the, make... The GBA wasn't around that long. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the GBA yeah. wasn't around that long. Like, it only had a lifespan of, what, at this point, like, four or five years before the DS basically came along um yeah yeah um yeah it it is remarkable like how successful that thing was for i mean it's just sort of the continuation of the game boy line uh which was very long (laughs) but it is Um, interesting that like for on the ds like they had to go out of their way to do it because they had to create like a completely separate like uh like game slot where you could put the gba cartridges yeah, which is like totally uh, messes up like the form factor <laughs> of, of the thing too, um, and that's when we get into touch and voice. Um, that the the game has uh, inputs uh, where there's touch screen on the bottom, which you are either touching with your hand or um, with a stylus, and that there is a microphone that uh, picks can pick up voice commands. Uh, and Reggie makes a weird. He's like, and your voice and only your voice will control the game experience. And was there a point in this development where they were like, yeah, we're going to make it so it recognizes the player's voice only? <laughs> it's, it definitely seems like it, um, but that was for sure not a thing. <laughs> Just like for sure not a thing. Um, and, you know, they, they're not really showing off um, or mentioning what like the touchscreen would end up be used for a lot. Um, you know, like where we're not seeing uh, brain age or any kind of like pick cross or anything like that. Like any of the uh, really obvious uh, applications for um, touchscreen controls, um, they're not really talking about at this point. Yeah, I mean, we don't really see a ton of gameplay or games at all other than um, Metroid Prime, a little bit of Metroid Prime Hunters and that little bit of um, like the Mario 64 splash screen, essentially. And I know the, yeah. the, the like versions of those games were available to play, but it doesn't seem like there was very much like third party presence, like games that were ready to go um, for that E3, which is a little bit crazy. Um, because the system ended up launching just like a few months later and you got stuff like feel the magic x y x x but you know like those were even like nintendo had like the yoshi touch and go like it was very like tech demo-y for a little bit yeah well which makes sense it like it is genuinely a new way to like 
control a lot of this stuff. Um, uh, then, then we move on to the connectivity of the system uh, and its local uh, wireless capabilities. Up to 16 players can connect, uh, 100 feet of range, and also this thing connects to Wi-Fi. And again, huge pop from the crowd who is excited to play uh, online games on a handheld for the first time. Yeah, I think so, especially wirelessly, right? Because I think probably at this time, even the Xbox required um you know like a ethernet connection like i don't know if it was out of the box yeah. wi-fi compatible yeah uh, i mean it it is really uh funny to think that like so at, you know at, at this point i'm in college right um and we didn't have wi-fi everywhere like that wasn't a you know people would have individual like wireless routers in their dorm rooms but they were plugged into an ethernet cable to the wall um but for the most part you probably just wired in uh directly um whereas like the those those ethernet ports don't exist in the dorm rooms anymore because they all just have wi-fi yeah. um so they 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 were introducing a a wi uh, a Wi-Fi compatible system in a time when that was not ubiquitous. Yeah, it was a sp- it was super forward thinking. Um, but you know, like with a handheld, didn't really have many other options. Um, yeah, totally. But like you know, it it had the Nintendo Wi-Fi connection. I think it ended up being called, and that was the first time the Nintendo had really like an online service of any sort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the 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 handheld leads the way on that, not not the home console, um, which again just wild to think of. Uh, and then there's like another uh, you know uh, set of interviews with um, developers and um, CEOs of businesses. Kenji Inafune of Capcom uh, shows up uh, in there, and I was like, ah, oh, it's good to see, it's good to see Inafune. Um, and then that like, oh, it's good to see this person again. Just continues as uh, Satoru Iwata, the the late great president of uh, Nintendo, um, comes out and is also just charming. Man, Nintendo's got some like just charismatic people at at the top of their uh of of their organization. Mm-hmm. It was it was really fun to see him again. Uh, so uh, he's. So this is where he even starts to tease the we, um, uh, believe it or not. Um, He's kind of just talking about uh, how different or how like the the DS is essentially going to be the future of gaming um, because it is doing something different. Right. And he he lays into that like different a lot um, and saying that uh, different is also going to apply to the next uh, uh, home console. And again, a gasp from the crowd who was not expecting to hear Nintendo talk about the, the new home console um, dur- during this presentation. Um, and, uh, you know, Iwata like lays out the, um, we've reached a point in uh, technology where better specs does not equal a better system. It's wild. He is, and again, you know that some of it is just like, um, you know, like, this is what we're going to say because nobody who works in technology could actually believe it. But he's like, we're reaching the upper limits of what graphics can do. Like, games pretty much are looking as good as they're going to look, which says so much about the Wii. You can't tell me that you see (laughs) the difference between a Wii and a 360. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, you're right. Like, it is so interesting that, you know, the... um, they're talking up the code name, like, Nintendo Revolution. We don't know the control scheme. Like, all this stuff yet. But... With the benefit of hindsight, it is so interesting to see how, like, 
plain and how clear they were about what the Wii was actually going to be. And then yeah, you just didn't, like with a name like Revolution, you just didn't want to believe it. You're like, wow, like think of the specs. And it's like they were not interested in that at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing that like he comes out and says like the next home console we're going to make is not going to be as powerful as everything else. We don't care about that. We're going to change the way people play games. And this is in 2004. The Wii doesn't come out for another three years and he's already telegraphing it. Yeah, I thought that was like really remarkable. Uh, and then uh, they're like, oh, by the way, we've got one one more thing to show you. Uh, and the one more thing is, of course, a trailer for a new Zelda game, uh, which would eventually become uh, Twilight Princess or be, be called Twilight Princess. Um, Mark, what would you think of this trailer? <laughs> I thought it was so funny because, again, it's like, look, Twilight Princess is a more uh, like dark um, literally, you know, like, uh, they definitely, you know, um, Link is grown up. Like, uh, when Miyamoto comes out, like he says that he's like, this is a grown up Link, right? Like, I like it. He also says like Link, uh, has to like grow in order, you know, like Link has to always be Never changing. stops changing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so like, this is very different from Wind Waker. I dare say that it was like kind of the Zelda that people wanted, right? Like it, it definitely feels like fanboy wish fulfillment. And, like, the trailer has that, like, we saw the, saw the start of the show where they're like, we love explosions. Like, this is another one where they're, like, intercutting um, these, like, uh, words on the screen with graphics from, from, like, bits of the game. And, you know, it's things like, blades will bleed. And, you know, like, all this stuff that you're like, I've played Twilight Princess. Like, I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah and, and uh, yeah th there's th uh, there are definitely a lot of cutscenes uh from this where it's like armies of bokoblins and like a world on fire behind them that you're like this does not make it into the final <laughs> cut of the game um but th this does seem like the uh or this trailer is sort of like poised to be the fruition or like the living up to the promise of the space world 2000 um, uh, legend of Zelda demo um, that, uh, you know, came before the uh, wind waker was, was actually announced. Um, but they were just sort of like showing off what Zelda could look like, what the tone could be. Um, and it seems like, I mean, did, do they need to apologize at, at this point? Did they feel they needed to apologize for Wind Waker? Like, I do think they did. I mean, I don't know if they felt the need to apologize, but I definitely think that they felt the need to be like, okay, like, we're not saying we agree, but we heard, you know, what that initial reaction to Wind Waker was. Um, and, you know, like, again, going from Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, like, Wind Waker is for sure, like, a left-hand turn. Like, Twilight Princess feels in a way like a natural extension of what Ocarina of Time would turn into. Totally. Um, yeah. But to so a fault. Yeah. To oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Like it's essentially a remake. Um, I also thought it was funny that to me it had very like, oh man, like Lord of the Rings had such a cultural influence like um yeah like the music Great the point. crowd like the crowds like there's like a big balrog looking thing you know that link yeah. is gonna fight for a second like that that felt very much like lord of the rings 2002 Man, like 2003 what a great like, point 
Yeah. What a great point that like, yeah, one year is fellowship. The next is uh, uh, two towers. The next is return of the king. The next is this presentation. <laughs> like 100 percent. Um, and as as you mentioned, after the trailer, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto comes out um, with a sword and shield um, uh, mentions that Link never stops changing um, again is adorable it's it's a it's crazy how much that they're they're like this is a dark new uh tough zelda game uh and now here's an adorable japanese man <laughs> no, who's it, going to struggle through some english to get this out to you completely it's so like it, it's so a bit like yeah like the trailer and the game itself like i would say d- is definitely not as dark as like the trailer makes it out to be absolutely but, you know like they're like here is this like dark dark trailer and then Shigeru Miyamoto comes out and he just is exuding joy and the audience is eating it up. And you're like, yeah, that is the core of Nintendo. And that is why like they have found this new success in the Switch era, because that is what they have dedicated themselves to right now, which is just like that sense of like childlike wonderment and joy. Yeah. Uh, then they go out on uh, the notion that the Nintendo DS is the, th- the third way to play, the new way to play. And uh, Nintendo's uh, revolution will be the same. Um, at, at that point, sort of uh, like looping in both the code name for what will eventually be the Wii, and just like this sort of ethos of like the DS and the the Blue Ocean strategy that we don't even really know is coming yet, um, but that they are threatening at every point <laughs> throughout this presentation. So, Mark, what did what did, overall? Uh, and now that we've talked about it, like, what do you think? Do you think this was a good a good E three a good way to reveal the uh, the DS? I I it's interesting because like it is a super memorable E three. Like so many like you know Reggie's first E three, the reveal of the Nintendo DS, um, Shigeru Miyamoto storming the stage at the end after the like Twilight <laughs> Princess reveal. Like all of those are yeah. such like epic moments, and they came at like a time when Nintendo was kind of um, lost a little bit, or at least like wasn't getting their message through clearly. Um, So like, it is like, it's a really good E3. Um, I don't know that it's like their most triumphant one at the time, but in hindsight, I think it's actually like aged really well. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing that I think it is lacking the most is seeing the any kind of compelling gameplay experiences on the on the ds um you know they are they because all they really have at this point is is the hardware um and then the fact that they're showing off uh, a metroid game which is basically just metroid prime and a mario game which is basically just mario 64 um that uh they don't they those experiences aren't ready like it's it's all the promise of something to come and it's possible that they uh well they have some ideas for like the direction that they're going to take the ds you know they don't know that like they they don't know what the system's going to be um and uh it it takes uh it takes some time and a lot of development uh to actually get there and also like a hardware revision frankly like um the the ds comes out at, at the end of 2004 but like is the ds Lite 2006 ooh that's a good question i think it's 18 months later so i think it is 2006 okay. yeah um because that i mean that that's when i that's when i got one you know like i i, I being a lifelong nintendo fan um 
just skipped out on the uh, original issue of of the of the hardware. Yeah, no, the the DS Lite is a hundred percent when that machine took off, and it makes like complete sense, right? Like the original DS is, uh, it it was so it looked so unfinished, like so unrefined, like it it, it yeah. was not a system that would appeal to a broad audience. Like you wouldn't see it in the store and want to pick it up. But with the DS, they like like I coveted that DS Polar Light Polar White. Like I wanted it so bad, and I remember checking Target like every boy. day to like pick it up, and it's like yeah, because it looked so appealing, but it looked so appealing to like a broad audience. Yeah, I think to this day it remains the best Nintendo's best looking handheld, the the DS Lite. Um, it's just so like it it ends up looking uh, better, and like I, I don't know, it just. I uh, honestly, I, I I don't I don't know what it is about it that makes it seem better than even things that are only slightly different, like the DSi or the 3DS. Um, like it just it just the form factor of it is so like clean and smooth and like round and nice. I think it really benefited from like kind of the halo effect around the iPod and some of like Apple's cool project uh, products at the time, because you know sure. Nintendo for sure was kind of like aping that white and black plastic look but like they captured it in a really like in they captured the right spirit of those products which is like hey this is like really approachable and it's great for your kids but it's great for your mom and like everybody looks cool using this that was uh let's let's close this out that's what we thought of uh nintendo's 2004 e3 presentation what did you think? Did you watch this thing and then also listen to us? Or are you just trying to uh, remember if you've ever seen this presentation? It's available on YouTube. Um, and uh, I, Mark, do you recommend that people now in, two, in 2020 go back and watch this thing? I, I do. I think if you're into Nintendo, it's, fun, it's, right? it's such a fine, fun time capsule. And uh, we'll, we'll put the link that uh, we have to the show um, in the show notes. So if anybody wants to check it out... Um, you can because I, I think it's only 45 minutes and like uh, it's super fun to kind of like look back on what Nintendo was. And I would say that uh, unlike um, some other E3 presentations between now and when they go, you know, all digital, there aren't really uh, any big cringy moments in this. Like there's no point really where you feel embarrassed for them, except for in the like generalized like the early 2000s were a little bit of an embarrassing time. <laughs> Uh, but otherwise, otherwise, I would say not. But I would love to hear uh, what what everyone else thinks of of this presentation. So, if you would like to tweet at us, we are at Nincart Society on Twitter, and uh, you can email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail dot com. <laughs> All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the show. Remember, please rate, review, and subscribe if you liked the episode. You can also share it um, wherever you share stuff on Twitter. Uh, you can find us. All, all there. When when I say all, I mean both me and Mark and the show. <laughs> I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MK Mitchell, and the show is at Nin Card Society. It's also a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying thank you for listening.
Have you ever encountered an unexplained hairy bipedal hominid in the woods? Have you received telepathic messages from an unidentified aerial phenomenon? If so, then you need to listen to Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm Michael McMillan. And I'm Bryce Johnson. And together with super producer... Riley Bray. We make up the Bigfoot Collectors Club. That's right. Every week we talk to actors, comedians, writers, and paranormal experts about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness. Like the time when we talked to Craig Ferguson about the Loch Ness Monster and when a sea witch told him he had raven magic. Or the time I asked Pitch Perfect's Anna Camp her opinion on cattle mutilations. Past guests have included Rachel Bloom, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Bobcat Goldthwait, and more. So if you've ever been abducted alongside five reindeer by an alien with grills for hands or witnessed Bigfoot crawl out of an interdimensional portal, don't laugh, it happens all the time. Then check out Bigfoot Collectors Club on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Bigfoot, Bigfoot Collectors Club, you're, you're here to, to believe, believe us. Wait, is that how it goes? Campfire.